welcome to this podcast in a series developed by the Nebraska Juvenile Justice Association. NJJA is a 501c3 not-for-profit public benefit association. The mission of NJJA is to improve services to youth in the juvenile justice system by serving as a resource for collaboration, leadership development, and education for juvenile justice system professionals and interested stakeholders. Our efforts are greatly enhanced with the generous support of the Sherwood Foundation. Please visit our website at njja.org to see a list of upcoming podcasts, as well as the opportunity to revisit those podcasts previously recorded. We welcome your thoughts as to, to potential podcast topics and interest. Welcome to the Juvenile Justice in Nebraska podcast, produced by the Nebraska Juvenile Justice Association. All right, let's get going here. Okay. Episode six of the NJJA podcast, first and foremost, I've always got to thank the Sherwood Foundation for making this possible. The Sherwood Foundation has been great for NJJA, great to NJJA um, for allowing us to to do these podcasts and, and a number of other activities. So uh, thank you to the Sherwood Foundation. Today, we have two very special guests um, here with us today. We have uh, Deb Van Dyke-Reese, who is the director of the Court Improvement Project, and we have Miss Lakeisha Phelps. Lakeisha, you are the youth advocate? Yes. With uh, Nebraska Family Support Project? Yes. Awesome. Um, first of all, thank you guys both for coming in. I'm excited about this. And, and Deb, I've always been a big fan of yours and, and the work that you do at the Court Improvement Project. And Lakeisha, i um, super excited to get to know you and, and learn more about your story. Yes, thank you for having me. Um, first and foremost, uh, just because of the hot topic of, of the climate we're in, i got to ask about COVID. I've got to start there. Um, how has it affected the Court Improvement Project first, first and then we'll turn it over to Lakeisha what what has it changed for you guys? Well, um, the the courts have uh, continued to remain open, and so a lot of the hearings <clears throat> that are being held within juvenile court and then all courts across the state have really moved to a virtual setting. Um, and there have been some you know challenges that have happened. You know, in making sure that. Um, families and individuals that need to have access to the courts are able to have that access to the courts. Um, I think the silver lining is that um, I think there's always been the desire to move the courts to a more virtual setting or having that capability. And um, some of our courts across the state, especially in rural areas, Uh have have really kind of embraced that using technology um, because of the sheer distance Uh that people have to travel. Um, And then other the courts were slower to embrace mm-hmm. that, and that has kind of jump-started sure. um, a lot of the courts to be able to do that. I think for the Court Improvement Project, um, we really uh, spend a lot of our time going out to communities and meeting with our Through the Eyes of the Child mm-hmm. teams. Mm-hmm. And um, because of COVID, uh, we really have had to, we've had to limit our travel. We haven't had that, you know, kind of face-to-face work um, that we're typical, sure. you know, it's typical for us. And so we've had to get creative about how we continue to remain connected with our teams um, across the state during this time. I've uh, I've had the, the the honor and privilege to travel out to some of those rural courthouses, and when they say rural, they mean rural. Mm-hmm. Um, so mm-hmm. I, I can't imagine how beneficial technology would be for mm-hmm. some of those families, because um, some of those are, are so remote that 
it's tough to get there. Right. Um, you, have to, you got to block out an you know, hour, two hours sometimes to drive. Exactly. Um, so that makes sense. Mm-hmm. Um, I think this whole COVID thing is going to change a lot of the way we do business. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I know here at Cedars, we've had to make a lot of modifications mm-hmm. in how we're providing services to young people. And um, the, that, those, those virtual platforms have become huge mm-hmm. um, for us. Because mm-hmm. um, not only you got to worry about the safety of, of the kids and families, but then you got to worry about the safety of your, your staff as well. Right, right. Um, Lakeisha. How has it affected your job at uh, the Nebraska Family Support Network? Um, we, of course, had to modify a lot of ways we interact with the youth. And um, being that I'm, I interact directly with you, I, um, I see, I'm noticing a lot of youth are getting tired of the virtual <laughs> school. We're going into three months, yeah. and they're exhausted from it. They know the school is coming up, and it'll mm-hmm. be virtually online, and they are – they're like pulling away from doing therapy on Zoom or, you know, the youth groups and they're finding more things to do outside into in society with everything's being closed. I see it striking more behavior issues mm-hmm. and depression. And so I try to be as creative as I can. Um with the activities are keeping their attention and um, keeping the programming going, letting sure. them know that we have to continue to work on ourselves, regardless of what goes on in society. We have to keep our, um, our goals um, activated. We have to keep working on ourselves, keep staying therapy, stay doing um, drug and alcohol classes online, like stay, continue to work on yourself. Mm-hmm. So it's hard that part, as far as the agency, I know we're all coming together trying to support our sister agencies and um, really collaborating. It's helping us put our minds together mm-hmm. to um, serve our families and youth better sure. in the community. Yeah. Um, and we're going to get into Lakeisha's story here in a minute. Um, it It's an amazing um, how far you've come and what you've been through. I was able to, to watch the, the video, the YouTube video, which we'll put a plug out here in a little bit for that video. But... Um, Wow, it was really, really neat to see and and um, clearly the impact that you're having on some of these kids. But we'll get to that here yes. in, in just a second. Um, Deb, how do you how do you know Lakeisha? Where, where did this relationship start? Um, so I got to know first of all. I saw Lakeisha speak at a presentation okay. at Boys Town um, that I believe is the American Bar Association pulled together um, a couple of years ago, and she was the moderator of the youth panel. Yes, and um, it was so impressive, you know, to first of all um, hear your story here, Lakeisha's story. Um, but then also just to see the connection that she had with the young people that were on the panel, um, you know, to be able to kind of facilitate that in, you know, in front of a group of people, Mm -hmm. I think is a skill and a gift that I think that she has. Um, but then also just to see how she was able to really, um, you know, tease out additional information from the young people and really be able to kind of um, dig deeper on what it is that they were trying to say. And um, so that was how I first met her, first saw her. Um, and uh, she. this was just prior to our children's summit. And so every three years, the Court Improvement Project um, brings together stakeholders from across mm-hmm. the state to do a multiple day conference where we um, talk about all different kinds of topics related to child welfare and youth justice. Um, but the thing that I love about our 
Children's Summit is that we regularly um, really honor and highlight um, both our Through the Eyes of the Child teams, a judge, and then also Mm -hmm. an individual or a family that has shown resilience. And and so Lakeisha was nominated um, by Margaret Vasek Mm -hmm. from Boys Town uh, for that uh, award. And then she was, um, she received that award. And so it's just been through that, those experiences that I have um, gotten to know Lakeisha. Um, We've talked on the phone a few times. We've, you know, done email things. Mm -hmm. But, you know, every time I hear her speak, I am um, constantly um, in awe of um, the work that she continues to do, the passion that she has for the kids that and the youth that she is working with on a daily basis. Yeah, sure. So, Lakeisha, what does what does an award like that mean to you? Um, You know, the the Children's Summit, honored you with this award um what is that like it means it's so personal to me Mm it um it it lets me know I remember going through the system and being in so many placements and not really knowing what my future looked like Mm -hmm. and it it just means that everything I went through and everything I strive for and continue to work on within myself and working with these youth and healing myself as I work with them is all paying off and um it lets me know that as I when I went through the system, I wasn't for sure if it was anyone out there really caring about what youth who was in foster care or any group home or placement cares, you know, or, mm-hmm. you know, if they're thinking about us or working towards change or working towards better services for us. And to know that it's people out there that's listening to my story and that cares and is out there really working for it it, it, it it means a lot to me and I'm able to go back and tell you like it don't matter where we come from look at now you know mm-hmm. like I'm here now I went through everything you went through and some and I'm here now and it's people that's taking my story embracing it and make it change so that you your path could be easier to walk on so you, you keep mentioning your story and that's what I really want to learn about today is is Lakeisha Phelps story because that's one of the things I want to get out there um, with this podcast is is overcoming that adversity and, and that perseverance um, that you have clearly shown. Uh, can we get into that a little bit? Do you yeah, want sure. to kind of talk a little bit about, you know, the things that you went through? Um, you can start from wherever you want to okay. start, whatever you're comfortable with. Yes. Um, it'd be great. We'd love yes. to hear it. Okay. Well, I am the middle child of five siblings. My mom had five daughters, uh, five girls. Ooh, wow. Um, <laughs> when I was, yes, yeah, all girls. When I, um, when I was at the age of 10, we were um, removed from my mother home due to our house getting raided for drug selling of my stepfather. We were um, split up while they were incarcerated. And um, my sisters, we all have different fathers, so they all went with their fathers and wives. I was the only one that ended up in foster care due to my father not being present and no one being able to physically get me, I believe. So I entered foster care at the age of 10. Um uh, it was. It, I took it really, really hard. Within uh, about six months, a few months of being in foster care, I was entered to the juvenile justice system. I was in the fifth grade um, at Fontenelle Elementary, and I threatened my assistant principal. She was making like uh, being rude to me about my coat being dirty. I was going through a lot. Um, Eleven, ten, eleven. I was just saying crazy things, and mm-hmm. that entered me into the juvenile justice system. I remember. Um, 
uh, shortly after that, my mom was released from jail, and she came, and, you know, they I was placed back with her. However, two weeks later, my stepdad was murdered, so my mom just went on a depression. I don't quite, I don't know what for sure what happened, but I remember being back in the system. Um, foster care was really hard for me. Um, one of my first foster homes, I was abused sexually. Um, I got pregnant by the foster um, parent, and I had a child um, at 14. I ran from the day of the abuse, but I had a history of running because I didn't do good in foster homes. It just wasn't a thing for me, so I would run away. I remember running a lot. Not sure where I would run to. A lot of times to my grandma, but I would run and... um, I remember um, I ran from a group home and I was placed in Geneva. Um, it was my first time in Geneva, which was a really good placement for me um, because I not only was I running from abuse, but I was running for myself. I was diagnosed um, during that time with um, bipolar disorder, bipolar hypomania, and a personality disorder. So um, I was battling with my feelings, my emotions, learning about my disorders, not wanting to accept it because in the community I come from, um, any mental health is considered bad or you're crazy. You got so much stigma around it. So I was ashamed. So I didn't want to accept it. I was in Geneva and I found out I was pregnant there. And that's really where like my roller coaster started. Um, I had to, of course, have the child and go through the process of the DNA test and um, the trial and stuff for the um, my offender. Um and it would, took a really good toll on me, and it made me into a dark person. And after that, I really didn't trust. Um, after, you know, the trial of things and the DNA, I was able to give the kid up for adoption. I really didn't trust any homes. I didn't trust. At this point, I had limited contact with my siblings and my parents. And I was probably on my, like, after I left Geneva, I was, like, on my 17th placement um, due to running. I remember being in foster homes for, like, seven minutes one time and I would leave like um I just didn't trust foster homes but every time I went to a group home um I would do really good in there and Judge Johnson he was an awesome judge he was my judge at the time and who was that Judge Johnson okay um he was just so great like I remember he used to talk to me and that was one of the things that people um didn't do when I was system involved I didn't have any parents so all these people that was making decisions or at court talking to for me I really didn't understand what was going on it was a few people that would talk and explain to me I went through a child adoption I went through many of trials I went through many of um court hearings for child welfare as well as for juvenile justice with lack of parents lack of support um there other than the people that the state provided. And I knew very much of what was going on. Like all my adoption, when I gave the kid up for adoption, the, um, the creed and the, um, visitation, all that. I wasn't aware of that until I aged out and went back and looked and kind of figure out, try to put my pieces together. Um, but I became a very dark person after the abuse and I didn't trust anything and I would run away and I would be put in so many group homes. I was in 88 placements. Um, I was in different states. You, you just say 88? Yes. Yes. I was in yeah. S with foster homes, group homes, mental health facilities. Um, I would run and I was a runner and I would encounter other youth who would run and 
we will be running from the same thing, but into the different paths. And so I was able, I was, um, I had the tool for me to be able to stay out of certain things and to continue to work on myself and have hope and have faith. I seen so many youth that I would run away with that would go into drugs or selling their bodies or, you know, just different things. And I just will pray and like, I don't want to, you know, be on that path. And I, I made bad decisions still on that path while trying to stay away from certain things. So it wasn't an easy path at all. However, in a system, I met good people and I would stay in contact. Those people would stay in contact with me and I would stay in contact with them. No matter, I would run away and I had my therapist. I would always call her. If Even if I didn't tell her where I was at, I would call her. And it was just those people who kept me like having hope that things will get better. I remember when I was 19, I got in some, I was 18 and I got in some really, really bad trouble. And the judge ordered me to do um, therapy in a woman's trauma class. And by this time I was um, close to aging out. I was like two months from aging out. I was already in a lot of placements. I was over things. I had seen so much, got in trouble, met some people, um, some good people, bad people. Like it was time for me to do a change. So the judge ordered me to do this class. And I was like, I don't want to do it. Like it sucked. Like, uh, uh-uh. but if this going to keep me from going to jail for a long time, I'm going to do it. And I went and did a class and it was six weeks. It, it was so dope. And, um, <laughs> I took it again six weeks after that because it was so dope. On your own accord? Yes. Really? Good for you. The first day in class, um, they gave us this candle. And I even do this activity now on my first day of certain um, groups that I facilitate. They gave us this candle. And the lady said that more than likely you're going to wake up in the middle of the night with, uh, you know, a flashback or thoughts or anything like this candle and do what you usually take to calm down, whether it's meditate, pray, or whatever, you know, to take you to calm down. So I'm like, oh, yeah, right. Like, yeah, I'm going to sleep good. Like, let's get this over with. And in that class, like, I was so shocked at myself because I opened up. It was so many women that opened up. Our stories was alike. Um, and it was just, like, so much I just find myself opening up about things I never opened up before about. And uh, that was one thing part of the system I blamed the system like oh they put me in a foster home or I sat in the youth center for six months after being sexually abused and no one came and asked me what you know why I ran mm-hmm. or what was the reason of running mm-hmm. and so I sat there for six months and no, with no treatment or no nothing nobody cares when I wasn't open about it I never told my judge that I ran from foster home when he asked me why I do good in group homes but not in foster homes I never was open and said I run because I was sexually abused and I'm mm-hmm. scared or I was mistreated and I'm scared I don't feel loved and I feel love in group homes because I know it's more than one staff I know the lights don't come off at night I know you know like it's protocols and it's be witnesses other youth so um for me to be able to open up it triggers something like and it feels so relieved like well I can't believe I share that so that helped me so I took the class again and well that night I had to light the candle of course I woke up with just things on my mind and it just felt so good so then I started working on myself and that's where my life changed like I was like okay I held on to being a victim so long. Like, oh, this happened to me, this happened to me, so I'm able to hurt people, or I could fight to get it all out. Well, it didn't help nothing. So that class helped me realize, like, I'm not a victim. I mean, I'm a victim, but I'm not a victim. I don't have to live as a victim. I can, you know, I'm just giving the people who perpetrated against me the power of 
you know, watching me crumble and I didn't want to crumble anymore. So I just wanted to work on myself and work on myself. And I kept in contact with this. Oh, it was my, it was probably my 20th caseworker at the time. And she was the first person to be able to get into me. And she got into me because I was at Christmas third time in Geneva, um, in 2017. And she, uh, I, people was having visits and stuff and she come with her kid and she bring me Christmas gifts. And I was so mean to her and I was so horrible, but that like was really like, wow, Karen. And in the car, she had wrote some really emotional things to me in the car and it really got to me. And that's how I was able to start opening up to her. Mm-hmm. So I had her my last two years in the system and we stayed in contact after. And she's the one who introduced me to my position I am in now. We was in on a random lunch and she's like, hey, the agency that you used to have a worker from, do you remember Latanya? I'm like, yeah. She's like, well, her agency is hiring and I think you'll be really good for the position and I'm like oh but you know I did I got a couple of adult charges when I was a youth or whatever like and I'm working on that like do you think that would affect me and she's like I don't know we could just apply and at the time I was working at Coca-Cola just had a baby I was in school finishing up my associate's degree so I'm like okay sure let's try it and I applied and uh, some things transpired and I was able to get the position so then being in the role is helping me heal like Mm -hmm. I meet so many youth that are like me that aren't like me that um and it's just amazing like how I'm able to take my story the thing you know I remember certain group homes I've been in I remember certain people that wasn't so good in the system that's still in the system Mm -hmm. I remember some people that was awesome in the system that was in the system because like I said I was a dark person and they was able to look over that and do their job and make sure I was getting the services and things I need and you know I didn't apply it um at that time, I still, I use the skills now. I use it with my children. I use it with the children I work for, you know, with. And, like, Boys Town, one of the best placements. I love Boys Town. I was the youngest in the home when I was there. And I remember doing sodas all the time because I was <laughs> always in trouble. <laughs> so I remember doing sodas. I have a 15-year-old son who I said I adopted. Well, a few years ago, uh, he entered foster care, and I was able to get him back in my custody as guardianship. So it's been a roller coaster mm-hmm. because I met him at 11. He just turned 15 oh, this wow. month, July 8th. I met him at 11. Um, he had a lot of questions. I had, like, ooh, you look so much like um, – you know, the person who mm-hmm. perpetrated mm-hmm. against me. So I was healing. I'm still healing. Oh, yeah. So it's a battle. You know, we're in therapy and things like that. But I was able to get him back. Oh, I do sodas all the time with him. Like, <laughs> you know, because it helps you think, like, everything. Like, okay, we're going to sit down and do a soda so you can understand your problem and it's different options to this problem and you could come up with a better solution than what you came out with and that was one of the things boys I hated at all but I'll sit here and do it for these 10,000 points Mm -hmm. but who would think 10 years later 15 years later I'm doing that with my children so it's um so even though I didn't um you know, wasn't really receptive to the things that they was teaching me in all these placements I attended. I um, learned, I used them mm-hmm. down the line. And it's certain staff that understand that, certain people that work in the field that understand, like, oh, she's a lost cause. She don't want to do nothing. Forget it. But it's one's like, I'm going to still teach you this because you're going to use it one day. Sure. And that's how I am with my youth. This youth, like, okay, girl, I know you're not listening to me right mm-hmm. now, but I promise you, you're going to use this or you're going to remember this mm-hmm. at one point in time. It's going to make a difference in whatever situation you're in. So. Wow. Um, I, I want to talk to you a little bit about what you are doing now, but first, uh, you know, what an amazing story. Um, 
and I, I use that. It is an, it's an amazing story, but to to understand what you've gone through, uh, and I, I just know fit, fit, ten minutes of, of what you said, I can't imagine um, the you know more that you have. Uh, but to be able to to go through some of that stuff and all that stuff, and come out the way you have, uh, I am so thoroughly impressed um, with the person that you've become and and the work that you're doing. Uh, I, I can't say enough. Um, Deb, you have anything you want to say there? I mean. Well, um, you know, I agree completely that it's just, I, I mean, I think the resilience that you possess, um, I think is so inspiring. Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, I love the, the layers of your story that I never knew, you know, that you just shared. I mean, that, that reconnection with your son, um, is like so amazing to me, um, and so, so um, powerful, you know, both for you and for him, you know, to be able to come together to look at how can you heal, you know, together and build that relationship and then move forward. And um, it's amazing. To have, and I, oh, go, no, please, please. And, and I, you're I, the guest and you're way more important here than <laughs> I am. So. And I wouldn't be wouldn't able to be able to do it without agencies and people like Deb or the NJJRA or like um, Region 6, the PAC program, to be able to offer free services to come into our home and work mm-hmm. with us. And at one point in time, I felt like the system had failed me when I was in all those group homes. But the same system I feel like failed me helped me rebuild myself mm-hmm. and made me into a better person and so to be able to take that message and let them know like it's people out there that care and that's helping you guys giving me the platform to be able to share my story and give other people light and hope just make it all you know amazing it makes it better and I really appreciate the Sherwood Foundation every agency that reached out or even asked for advice for youth whatever just to be you know be me like just (laughs) you reach out to me like that means so much and um I appreciate it because I know it's a lot of youth out there right now who you know, is in a dark place like I was once and who need to hear the words like, oh, she made out of 88 placement. She, you know, was fighting staff or did this and that, you know, was in Geneva and she succeeded, graduated high school, graduated college, you know, like continue to work on myself and to know like it's never any journey of working on yourself. I, I'm still taking classes and working. Wow. So that platform helps. me. So let's, let's take a step back in, in your story here. Um, you know, how, how does a 10 year old, a 12 year old, a 14 year old, persevere through the things that you persevered um per- persevered through i just I, I i for the life of me at 10 there's no way i would have been able to do that i mean talk a little bit about how you were able to kind of just continue pushing through and and i know all the decisions you made weren't great um that's something you've made clear um but how, how, how do you do how did you do that i shut down i i i shut down not knowing not having many family and my sisters and stuff, it's easy to shut down. So my big, what helped me get through everything is I just, I would put myself in the ball and I keep telling myself like nothing can hurt me. Nothing can break me. Nothing can break me. And I was just remember that. And no matter the abuse I went through or anything, I just shut down. I would clean down. And also I was in therapy at a young age for the mental health, my mental health. And, um, that took a lot, um, it helped me through a lot too. So therapy at a very young age helped me as well as just shutting down being, and it took me a while to open up to people 
But that was a really good coping mechanism for me. Like, if I don't open up, if I just shut down, they can't hurt me. You know, they could just do what they want, but it ain't going to hurt me because I'm shut down. Yeah. Um, you know, another thing that I have on my mind is, is you've talked a lot about um, the number of caseworkers you went through and probation officers and all that good stuff. What advice do you have to those caseworkers? What advice can you give to probation officer, officers or anybody working um, in a case management position what, what advice can you give to those people, um, you know, to, to help guide young people through the system, whether it be, the you know, the yes. child welfare system or the juvenile justice system? I had a lot of um, one thing that really um, always stuck with me is I went through a lot when I was in a system and it very long, little came out. And so for caseworkers and probation officers to dig deeper than the behavior. I always know when a youth is acting a certain way, it's something deeper. Like, yes, youth commit crimes just for having fun. They might go in an abandoned mm-hmm. house. They might shoplift and stuff. But is it'd be deeper stuff going on. So when you come into a foster home or a group home and you ask the youth in front of the foster parents, how's everything going? And I'm like, oh, it's okay. I'm loving it. And then the next day I'm running away and mm-hmm. you in front of court like, well, I just visited her for seven minutes and she told me she was okay. Yeah. Like, clearly I ran for a reason. Like, just to dig deeper, get to know the youth um, understand the youth and don't be afraid to put services in place right now working in the field I see that it's scared like to take youth out of home or put them in Geneva or put services in place not all youth need it but majority some of us need it and don't be scared anymore don't be scared because they we need the tools the youth when you in a system I didn't learn how to drive out of being so many placements. I didn't learn how to cook. I didn't know how to do anything, clean myself properly as a woman, mm-hmm. um, do laundry because I was in so many placements and I had lack skill. I lacked so many skills. I had learned all that as an adult. Don't be scared to be these youth parents. Don't because we, sometimes we have them for 10 minutes. Sometimes we have them for a few months, but we, a lot of times we don't have them often. So, in that position, just go outside of your role. Don't just be like, oh, I'm coming to make sure you're in for curfew or make sure, like, ask them, do you need a cooking class? Well, you know how to cook or, you know, do you know how to properly do things? Like, just step outside of your role because those are the ones we keep. Mm-hmm. I kept the same caseworker after 10 placements. I kept the same probation officer after 20 placements or after a year or two. You know, you are in my life longer than these foster parents or these group home staff or sometimes our own parents. So just sometimes I modify our role and, you know, go beneath it and kind of figure out what's going on with the youth and see if there's additional services. That's great advice. Um, Deb, how important, in your opinion, is it to have people like Lakeisha advocate um, for our young people? I think it's critical. Mm -hmm. I mean, I think it's critical for her to advocate. I think it's critical for her to be a almost in a peer-to-peer kind of um, relationship, um, you know, to help them under, because, you know, a youth is going to listen to Lakeisha more than they're going to listen to me, you know, because I don't have any credibility with them. And so, and she does. And so I think that it, you know, just like you were talking about, you know, kind of go the next step and build those relationships. I mean, that to me is what it's all truly about is how do we break down barriers to build those relationships and that some of the behaviors that we see in young people are trauma responses or they are a lack of, you know, 
having relationships that are longstanding, you know, that it's just this revolving door of people coming in and out of their lives. And so they don't know, you know, who to trust and who not to trust. And so I think Lakeisha in her role is critical, um, both with the young people, but then I, I think also with, um, people that are making policies, Mm -hmm. people, you know, with judges. I mean, I just was thinking about, you know, what you said when you had Judge Johnson, you know, and how he was talking to you in certain ways that seemed to me like they resonated with you. And, And I think that that's something that we're always trying to enhance is that how can we, you know, have, um, the courts also be a part of that process of engaging young people, number one, in their court hearings, you know, and making sure that they really understand what's going on, you know, because everybody that's in the court system understands, you know, what an adjudication hearing is and what a dispositional hearing is and what that means, you know, but a young person where this might be their first time in court, or maybe even not their first time in court, but they still don't really understand what it means or the consequences of it too. And, um, and so I think that it's critical that we, um, have, you know, Lakeisha be a part of that process of helping to, um, have people understand that, you know, just because I know what those things are, doesn't mean that somebody that's first coming in contact with the system has that understanding or that they even have somebody there to explain it to them. Um, so I think that it's important to have, yeah. have that. One of the things that you said, Deb, was, um, you know, you obviously use the word trauma. And, and one of my biggest frustration um, right now is, is, and I think we're getting better at this, but, you know, treating behaviors as behavioral issues, in my opinion, and, and you guys can correct me if I'm wrong, but Behaviors are, are symptoms of, of a trauma. Behaviors are symptoms of children, youth, youth children's trauma. Uh, you got to treat that trauma before you change that behavior. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's something that we've got to do a better job at um, across the board uh, throughout the state of Nebraska. Um, and quite frankly, throughout the, the, you know, the USA when working with young people. So mm-hmm. um, It seems like the laws is getting so lenient. Like we're getting scared. But I am grateful for all the placements I was in, for the treatment that was given to me. Now I'd be like, that youth could benefit. It's like we're so scared now to put services in place or to actually work on behaviors Mm -hmm. because we want that family connection or we want – sometimes the family don't know what the youth need or sometimes the youth don't understand what they need, but it would come in handy. And I just noticed that, like, oh, we get so lenient. No. I think that I, I do think that there is a place for those out of home placements. I, but I, I, I'm a, also a strong believer in, in community, community yes. based yes. placements mm-hmm. and yes. in home based services. Yes. I think that's um, there can be a lot of benefit yes. of, of keeping young yes. people with their families if yes. possible. Yeah, that's what I'm saying. And, get, and don't give them the option like, hey, because mm-hmm. I sit I on the crossover team. So it's like, yeah. hey, we yeah. got this agency. If you want to try it, we're not going to force you. Like, no, let's, you know, make it mandatory. Let's let th- make them work on themselves and stuff. Being that we're not taking them out of home or using group homes and stuff as often, let's, you know, uplift our community agency sometimes be like, ooh, I got a drug and alcohol group and only two kids when I know a lot of kids in the community on probation mm-hmm. or and stuff that could really utilize it. So I think so, sometimes we might mm-hmm. be a little too lenient too sure. on fixing the behavior. Sure. Yeah. I think the other thing that I just wanted to add is that 
I feel like we've also gotten to a point where we um, sometimes criminalize regular adolescent yes. behavior. Yes. And and I think that we need to start getting away from that too, you know, because I think we get kids, you know, we, we label it, yes. but it's like, you know, I've got kids in home that do those same things, you know, but kids are kids. They make right. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. I was in Boys Town and I had got a assault charge for fighting one of my house sisters, housemates. And I'm thinking if I was at home, it'd just be called a sister fight, you know. Right. But yeah. when you're in group homes and stuff, you fight your sister. We was living together. We was there for like 11 months in the same home. So you got we tired of each other. We was fighting over flat irons. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It was over some flat irons. Yeah. And, and, you know, I was a little sister and I used it. And we really had a good relationship. Like, we were still, we still friends to this day and stuff, you know. And she's living in um, Chicago now. But I can't believe, like, girl, we got charged for that. Like, we had to go to town hall and, you know, like, that was the first thing on my record was a assault charge with her and I'm like are you kidding me so I agree on that like criminalizing you know behaviors that's not really crimes yeah. Yes. yeah so Lakeisha what are you doing now talk to us talk to us about your job um and how you work with young people and, and by the way I think that a youth advocate is is the 100% correct title Thank for you and what you. you've gone through um but you know what are you what are you doing now well, with Nebraska Fame Support Network, they gave me the platform to really shape my own program. And so with that, I am able to have my hands in so many things, and I love it. Like, even today on the way here, I have my phone mounted up, and I'm talking. We were on our check-in call, and I'm telling them about incident happened Saturday. I, you know, they don't, um, Saturday youth called me about 2.30 in the morning, and she's like, um, Lakeisha, can you please come and get me? This youth always put herself in high-risk um, situations, and, um, you know, I really outside of my scope, but I'm like, okay, something's telling me, let's go get her. So I go get her, and um, I go to this area, and I know it's a bad area once I put in my GPS, so I call my sister, wake her up, and she comes with me, and we go get her, and we get there, and it's in the South Omaha Projects, and it's a thousand people. Like, it's like a hundred youth out there. They're drinking, smoking, they're doing video shoots. Um, it's like 2.30 in the morning, so um it's police out there, and it's just, like, so much. I couldn't believe it. Like, I've never – I was always a North Omaha baby, so I never hung out over south, and I never was in a project, and I never knew that this is going on. So I'm looking for her because she's calling me on Messenger, which means she was on somebody's hotspot because her phone is not on, or she was using someone's phone. And so I'm looking for her. I find her. Um, in between it, I'm seeing so many youth out there. I know they're giving me hugs. I'm like, baby, where's your mask or whatever? You know, I'm taking <laughs> alcohol from some. I was just telling, like, oh, I still got this alcohol in my trunk. I need to throw it away. Um, but I'm taking alcohol bottles. Like, why isn't the cops grabbing these from you guys, you know? And um, I end up taking the youth, and I take her to her foster home. Um, foster mom was a really nice lady. Um, let her in. Like, it's 3 o'clock in the morning now, and you letting her in. She's like, my door's locked at 10. You're walking in at 3 in the morning. But she let her in, let her get some sleep, which was really great. Um, but um, it ended up being a shooting that night, and it was nine youth were shot. And um, I remember one, I had just hugged her, one I actually took the bottle from, and she messaged me on Facebook, like, oh, I got shot in the leg, like, you know, so thank you so much for taking my bottle, that bottle, because I was already drinking. They said if I drank more, I could, the bleeding probably would have been worse and things like that, like she's not going hanging out over there. But um, 
just that being able to be in a role I am and being able to shape my own program, I'm able to do the peer peer support with youth and be there when they need it in situations like that. But outside of that, um, I am facilitating two juvenile justice councils that the fund, uh, Sherwood uh, Foundation uh, funded is uh, we're partnered with Operation Youth Success. Really, really dope. Um, we're using these youth lived experience, and we're able to make policy changes in different organizations like the Youth Center. It was a rule of no sibling visitation for anybody under 18. When I was in a Youth Center, I was there 18 times. Um, when I was in a Youth Center, I um, I had siblings. I never got to see my siblings, and that affected our relationship. Try 18 times. I think the longest I was in there for was about six months. 18 times for six months out of all the, you know, seven years of being in the system, I miss so much. I miss prom, uh, just bonding with my sister. So that had an effect on our relationship growing up. And so these youth are in there not able to see their siblings. And a lot of youth around the table advocated for that and was able to get that policy change. Um, we go to Lincoln for legislative bills and use our voices all around in different panels to be able to um, – make changes and it's really giving the youth the power like they be so ready like we went to Lincoln for a legislative bill we had a youth show up in a tuxedo a whole time <laughs> like I didn't recognize yeah. him at first we're waiting on him I'm thinking he was a senator or someone a lobbyist <laughs> in a lobby and he was a whole youth like he was he took it serious like it's giving them power and I see youth are going from being gang related to like oh I'm going to a, um, you know a Black Lives Matter protest and I'm being able to share my voice and stuff without you know with being educated and without the stigma of oh I'm down here you know to protest and start violence and things like that like really give their voice but we have the juvenile justice councils we have two because we notice um of course when I was young young girl and you see the older guys you know I like the older guys so we wanted to keep it age appropriate <laughs> so we got the 19 to 26 and then we have the 12 to 18 and it's, we're able to do pro-social activities they get group um, gift cards for participating and I know a lot of times they have babies so we do uh, child care and um, we have different agencies like um, from St. Francis we have um, the Sherwood someone that um Jim, oh my God, Jim from the Sherwood is really dope. Yeah. They couldn't find nobody else yeah. better than Jim. Yeah. Like he says that he interacts and he comes and he's just so generous and so kind of like he can relate to the youth. And that's even um, Judith for St. Francis, an older Caucasian lady. She just interacts with the <laughs> youth so well. Like we meet them where they at and I couldn't ask for a better team and we're able to serve youth outside of the juvenile justice. You know, sometimes they be like, our refrigerator went out and then we get on a call trying to find refrigerators or trying trying to do things we're able to help them as they help the system and the younger crew they get arrested still they reoffend like a lot but I know they're applying and they take and they always got someone to call they be at court like well I'm part of juvenile justice council and it gives them like encourage them to try to do better um but they're really um and we use their voice a lot. They really have really good, strong opinions. And one thing you said is, like, sometimes sitting in a courtroom, you don't know what things mean or who people are and stuff. I had a youth tell me recently, I admitted to a crime to my guardian of litem, thinking that they was my attorney. You know, they know a guardian of is an attorney, but not the attorney. You need to be yeah. really admitting to things, too, you know. But things catch up to us, so we got to handle that. But just, you know, it's important for them to know. So we're able to educate them on the roles of everyone and on um, – laws and things like that and then I have journey to success which is a youth life skill group um 
we do eight weeks. Um, it's an eight-week group, and we do each week a different life skill. So we do rap, which is wellness recovery action plan. We do cooking classes. We do hygiene. We talk about con- crimes and consequences. We talk about trauma. Um, and um, we just every week is different. And I really go off the first week of the groups. Like, okay, what is what more do this group need to hit on? You know, mm-hmm. we even do my grocery shoppings because the things I lack when I age out the system, I want to help them gain. So we do my grocery shopping where we got relationships with the neighborhood Walmart mm-hmm. on Saddle Creek, and they're able to come and you know we could my group get write a grocery list out mm-hmm. and do things like that. So it's really um, neat how our ages uh, different community. Um, agencies come together and really help us serve these youth and these families. But um, so we have Journey to Success. We also do that in Boys Town. So um, the youth, thank you to Boys Town. I, I love it because I'm able to give back. But we're going to homes and we do the group classes there. And um, it was unique because when I started, of course, the staff had to be in a room. And um, and I don't like adults in the room during the Journey to Success because like to meet the youth where yeah we got music playing. You know, a couple of cuss words might swear just don't swear at each other. Um, d- no name calling you know calling each other bros and stuff is fine but we make it a safe place where we set the house rules and go and sometimes you know like our rules might not be the same of what goes with different program rules and so boys town allow us to have that space you know and I know it's very hard um for them to but they allow us to have that space and they see changes in their youth and um, it's really neat giving back. So we have them too in Boys Town at our office. Being that the thing, um, the COVID, we're doing it online mm-hmm. and I've been having to be unique like on how I'm doing. Like I drive out, drop off packets and I, we're going to do an activity on Zoom t- Saturday. So these are all the materials you need and things like that to really keep their attention. But one thing I can say is a lot of the youth are still holding on because of the relationship we have built and the support our community agencies have helped us gain. So, Lakeisha. Yes. You mentioned uh, one of the placements you had. Um, you happened to be here yes. at Cedars where, where this podcast is actually taking place. What, yes. was it, what was that like? Cedars was, oh, my God, it was my really my first group home after I had uh, my child. And I was in a dark place. And I remember the lady um, in the office during my intake, she asked me, she said, baby, what happened to you? What's going on? And that was the first person I remember that said it like, what happened to you? And I just broke down. But it was just the safest environment. It was so fun. It was so down to earth. They worked with us. The education piece, um, sometimes going from group homes to group homes, we was lacking with our educational piece. And they, they was on top of everything. It was like one of my best placements. I left here and went to, um, at their Cedars, I went to an independent living here in Lincoln. And Cedar started a bank account with that independent mm-hmm. living mm-hmm. place right here at this bank across. And um, just recently I got the check um, um, through the Doug, Nebraska Treasury that I uh, forgot all about yeah. it and things like that. But it just brought so many memories. I was so happy to come here. It was one of my good placements. It was a good, it was a, it felt home. I was here for a little bit and the staff was all nice and the food was really good. And I didn't have, a, I had a little boyfriend and it was, <laughs> <laughs> you know, I actually uh, would have worked here. You really? Um, I wasn't, I didn't work in the shelter, but I, I was definitely at Cedars, uh, 
um, 2004 I started. So Yes. Yeah. And so then the staff that I'm in by, I can't think of her name. I got her on Facebook. I'm going to have to show you her. I'm sure you do. I remember she had a little slug bucket and had her little <laughs> lashes on the car. And <laughs> now we're kind of neighbors and living in the same neighborhood. But it was just some really, really good staff here. And it was really a good, safe, like, mm-hmm. uh, a good, safe place for me. So, is there any other shout outs you want to give as far as the caseworkers that you had? <laughs> yeah, that you really, Stephanie please. Clark, please, uh, was really a major. LaDonna Jones, my probation officer for quite a while. She was one that could take care of, like, understand my mom because my mom was a really angry black woman. And LaDonna, <laughs> LaDonna would not back down, so she was really good. Of course, Nebraska Fame Support Network. Um, I have a picture on my desk from me as a youth there. You served me, and now you're giving me the platform to serve youth. That's so cool. um, the NJJA, I got a word last year. I appreciate you guys. Deb, for the M. It's just so many people. Margaret Vasquez, Boys Town, amazing. The whole Youth Impact Team, um, Project Everlast. Oh, so I love what they do for the community. Um, Project Harmony, um, Mandy Reavers, she gets upset if I don't think her name. <laughs> um, as well as just one more OYS, Operation Youth Success. Um, they are so overlooked. They are do so many um, good things for the community. They go down deep into North Omaha and meet the youth and families where they at. Don't judge them, and they make it comfortable to work inside, you know, alongside them. And so I just pre- appreciate everybody. Thank Perfect. you. Okay. Perfect. Bye. Nobody else? Nope. Okay. <laughs> I hope not. <laughs> so, Lakeisha, you have kids, correct? Yes. When the heck do you find time to do all this? <laughs> <laughs> yes. Oh, my little daughter, Um, she's five. She she loved the youth. She meet them. She comes with me to places. She do. She knows so much that she's going to be in the field. So she, and I'm able to flexible. And working with youth, you could be so flexible. Mm-hmm. At evening mm-hmm. stuff, she could come with. We serve dinner, sit down, bring her tablet. My son, everything I do, he got it. He need these skills. He need to gain mm-hmm. it. So, you know, he do like the youth conference we held um, last year um, at Trinity Lutheran Church uh, for the juvenile justice uh, is for youth juvenile justice involved really really neat he came the whole five days like you need these tools and stuff so it kind of worked out it's like I'm blessed to be able to shape and be on the youth time and my job is letting me be flexible and you know and it works out for me thank God <laughs> yes what an inspiration I know I said it once earlier but I could say it a million times and it wouldn't be enough um it's, it is amazing to hear your story. It's amazing to hear what you're doing now. Um, I can only see good things ahead for you, Lakeisha. You keep doing what you're doing, and these kids are so lucky to have you. Um, you're going to do amazing things. I, I Go ahead, please. I'm going to record you saying that. <laughs> <laughs> they need to know that. <laughs> yeah. But so, I'm sure they appreciate it because they, they show it all the time. Yeah. yeah. It, Deb, any final words you got? I, I don't even know how to end this podcast. I know. I could go on I for know. hours and hours I, of this I, I conversation. I agree. I agree. I just think you're just an inspiration wow. and um and that I feel like that our state and our and the Omaha community are really lucky to have you be a part of this work that we continue to do and we've got lots of challenges in front of us but I also think that with you what I see is hope. You know, I I think that you are always what I sense is that you're always hopeful that there can be some differences that can be made and that we can see a brighter future. Yes. So. And those changes have been like changes have already been made. And that's why my hope is just getting so bigger. Mm-hmm. Like we can conquer everything. One of the things that I would love to see, um, and that I'm hoping for you is continue to push that youth voice. Yeah. 
Yeah. That youth voice mm-hmm. is so important to our juvenile justice system, to our child welfare system, um, and, and our legislators need to hear it. So mm-hmm. please, please continue pushing that because that is so important to the work that's being done uh, in the state of Nebraska. Okay, anything else? Lakeisha Phelps, Deb Van Dak Reese, thank you guys so much. Thank, thank you. you. Thank you. Signing off. Thank you.